Welcome to Modern Anarchy, the podcast exploring sex, relationships, and liberation. I'm your host, Nicole. On today's episode, we have Tohofatso Sene. Join us for a conversation about the transformative nature of power play. Together, we talk about an abolitionist perspective to harm and transgression in kink, green flags in play partners, and the spirituality of BDSM. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Modern Anarchy. Hello to all of my pleasure activists and radicals out there in the world. Thank you for joining me for another expansive conversation. And this episode, Power Play. Wow, I mean, my brain is just thinking about all the ways that power is constantly present in our relational dynamics, and what does it mean to play with that intentionally? I have learned so much about myself and my relationships to other people through being in the BDSM and kink community. It has brought a lens of consent and power dynamics that I now see the world through in very different ways than when I previously started, and that perspective is continually shifting. I'm learning new things about myself every day. I'm making mistakes every day and learning and growing and expanding and In that way, it reminds me a lot of my psychedelic work, right? These difficult experiences, these profound experiences are changing me and the importance of doing both in community, right? It is the community that is the medicine in both of these spaces. It's where we learn, it's where we grow, and it's also where we are held when things get difficult. And so what does an abolitionist perspective to harm look like? It's a very nuanced conversation and one we just touched today, but will probably be a continued conversation in this podcast space. And I know I talked a little bit about this in the episode with Sai on queering psychedelics, but dang, dear listener, if I can share anything with you about my BDSM and power play journey, it's that the things you're interested in will change. Will change. I think every single guest that I've brought on to talk about eroticism and connection and play is going to change. I'm just going <laughs> to invite that for you to get comfortable with now because I continue to struggle with that. You know, the things I thought I knew and then the ways that, you know, my relationship to power changes. And it's also something that happens in all of our relationships, right? Relationships to humans. Our dynamics are changing and evolving every day. And so, What does it mean to get into deeper connection with that? And there's so much healing that can be found in play. I mentioned it during the episode that we do play therapy with kids and the benefits of what we can find there. And I'm curious, you know, as a researcher in the space, what adult play therapy can look like. And I'm really excited to be a part of the movement of forwarding these ideas and making it more common conversation because I do believe that this is how we dismantle rape culture in the end. And yeah, dear listener, I am riding such a high right now. I matched for internship last Friday and you don't know, but 
I have been holding so much stress and tension in my body about this because I have to go to an AP accredited internship as my last year of my training. I have to leave Sauna Healing Collective for the year to train elsewhere because of systems and that's how you get the degree and lots of complexities here. But there was a queer, non-monogamous site that offered internship. They're called LifeWorks if you're in Chicago. Great space to check out, right, for healing. But I couldn't go there because it wasn't an APA accredited internship. And that was heartbreaking because I felt like, damn, you know, so much of my identity, my kinkiness, my queerness, my relationship anarchy, all of this stuff is so public on the podcast. And I was so deeply afraid that no one would want me as an intern, given what I am passionate about, given my identities and all of the things. And so I am so damn excited to tell you, dear listener, that I matched during the first round. I have an internship placement and this next year of my life is going to be great. And I applied to these sites with my podcast on my CV. So anyone who accepted me could know that these are a part of the things that I'm passionate about and the part of the things that I believe in, in terms of social justice. But I can't express to you enough how scared I was of that. I started preparing for internship in this process and this application about a year ago. And I knew in the last couple of months that, damn, I am putting my podcast on my CV. So that means that all of these episodes I'm listening to, at any point, the people seeing my application could go in and hear what I'm saying. And damn it, dear listener, I cut some stuff out. Like, I cut some stuff out of episodes or I was like, oh my god, can a applicant be saying that she orgasms and has these experiences and oh no what if my internship site sees this and they don't want me and I can't even express to you enough how uh scared I was with every episode I was putting out dear listener to think that my uh internship sites I was applying to could hear what I was saying so I am so delighted to have this off of my chest. Dear listener, I'm so excited to be able to speak to you more freely. Uh, you know, I was just holding that and uh, I signed a contract, you know. Uh, it's happening. It's done. And so I am really delighted to tell you that as part of my celebration, I have planned my first large-scale scene at a dungeon with all of my femme play partners that I love dearly, and we are gonna celebrate. There's a lot of tension in my body that needs to be, you know, talk about spirituality. I need a damn exorcism, okay, from all of that stress, and I am so excited to be getting that out with that type of healing power play with all of my femmes that I love dearly, and I'm so excited that I can tell you that dear listener, without fear of what it would mean for my internship placement. So yeah, I'm riding a really good high, dear listener, and I'm excited to keep growing and learning with you in this space. And I am so, so thankful for all of you, dear listeners, that keep tuning in, that keep sending this podcast to your friends and growing together with me in this space. Now with that, I am sending you all so much love. And let's tune into today's episode. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the 
must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So then the first question I like to ask each guest is, how would you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hmm. I often struggle, I think, with self-definition. Sure. As probably a lot of creatives, but also just queer people in general do. But I would probably say that I am, you know, I'm a Black, chronically ill, genderqueer community worker and a traditional healer who does the most. That's how I often yeah. <laughs> introduce myself. Um, a lot of my work is rooted in pleasure, in healing, in dreaming, in mm. community, in care and pleasure and the ways that those kind of intersect. A lot of kind of my base frameworks, I guess, are incredibly feminist, incredibly queer, focused on like gender justice, focused on community, focused on disability justice. Around those specific topics, I write, I speak, I run workshops. I hold space in specific organizational spaces and I'm able to kind of do a little bit of that work one-on-one -on -one quite recently, which I felt really fortunate to be able to do. I run a online platform called Hedony that kind of focuses on queer people and black people, African people who are thinking of their own lives as kind of our lived experience as theory and theorizing around, you know, pleasure and healing and community. Yeah, I think that <laughs> that kind of sums up yeah, who I am. Powerful. Today. Today, yeah. exactly. Maybe not tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, the journey, right? The journey. Yes, mm. Yeah. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. And pleasure I, to be here. Yeah. And I know that yeah. we, or I had heard of your work through your TED Talk on BDSM. So if it feels okay with you, maybe we start there. Yeah, let's definitely start there. So I would love to hear, you know, take me back to your first experience with BDSM or even hearing of the term, you know, where did that journey start for you? Mm. Um, so my journey actually started on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Um, back in probably, I think, 2012, where it was my first time kind of in an online space where I was like, oh, okay, cool. People are just sharing their opinions. People are sharing their lived experience. And I started following a lot of like sex positive black feminists, two specific ones who live in the country. I was just like sliding into DMs saying, hey, hi, I see you talk about this thing and I'm a little bit interested. What is BDSM? What is kink? Mm -hmm. um, one of them who is Mahosi Letimile, who is a disabled activist who lives in Cape Town. She was incredible she like sent me a bunch of books she was like this is what you should read come talk to me if you have questions these are the sort of things you should look out for and gradually over time i started experimenting with it and i was really fortunate that one of the people that i connected with on twitter was a dom who did a lot of i guess kind of in his own experience of being a dom and being within the kink and BDSM space, but also somebody who was, as I like to say, neurospicy. Um, he was helping me with connecting with kink, but also in the ways that 
it was holding my mental health. Mm. So a lot of my first experiences with kink was deeply entrenched in like, okay, how do you manage your anxiety? How do you manage your depression? As someone who back then is like, okay, I was firstborn, I'm a daughter back then, you know, and I had obviously had a lot of control issues, (laughs) (laughs) as you can imagine. And it was really wonderful for me to have this person who I still to Mm. this day have never met this person who was holding so much of me, so much of me that I didn't yet understand, who was helping me manage that with something as simple as like, cool, this is your bedtime. This is what you need to do before bed. This is what you do as you wake up. These are the sorts of things that you can do for yourself when you're in the office and you're feeling anxious. Like one of the first things that I ever did was just play with an elastic band on my wrist because that's one of the things that he was teaching me in terms of body awareness. Sure. And just being aware of all of these different ways of, okay, how do I bring pleasure into managing my mental health, into figuring out what caring for myself looks like? And most importantly, how do I even figure out ways to be vulnerable with this person that I have not met? And in cases where I often didn't necessarily feel comfortable being vulnerable. So it felt really, really beautiful to have someone who was my dom and was incredibly sexual as well. I think it's important to speak about that side as well. Sure. That, you know, it wasn't all like, and as much as kink and BDSM are incredibly, incredibly beautiful when it is when they are non-sexual, it was a space where I was, I think, 20, 21. So that time in your life when you're going through some self-discovery, you're like shedding off the bullshit of like, I was a teenager and I'm not that person anymore. But also the self-discovery of, I've always been a deeply sexual and sensual person. And I haven't necessarily had a way to hold both of these things. And even through going, you know, sub-frenzy of like, I need to find the dom, I need to find the dom. And being able to find this person online was such a wonderful thing for me because it felt like, okay, there's a lot less pressure. I don't feel as terrified that, you know, this Dom is someone who's going to know where I live, who's going to ever see me in public. So it felt incredibly safe. It didn't end very well, (laughs) but I think, yeah, I think in hindsight, it probably ended the way that it needed to because it also kind of taught me the thing of, balancing what polyamory looks like so my first kink experience was also kind of my first not even my first maybe my second entry into polyamory because he had a very very long-term partner who I later then found out was not actually comfortable with yeah so it also Mm. taught me that side of things right to be like okay cool so you're really wonderful to me but on the other side you're not exactly being wonderful to this partner of yours so trying to hold both of those truths was tricky yeah but now it's like in hindsight I'm like okay cool I learned in that very specific relationship and in that interaction of kink I learned how to behave and how not to behave <laughs> so I was like okay yeah. cool I'll take the lesson I'll take the lesson yes very good lessons for sure yeah mm-hmm. yeah So then where did you go from there? From there, honestly, I was writing quite a lot about my experiences. So I started a little blog because it was only on Twitter where I was like, oh, I am kind of a writer. Oh, I have been writing for a long time. 
And in realizing back in 2012, there weren't that many black women who yeah. were um, speaking openly about anything in terms of sexuality, in terms mm -hmm. of intimacy, and especially in terms of kink and BDSM. Right. So I was also, I know how fortunate I was to be able to experience my entry into this world via other black women mm -hmm. and via people who were incredibly like, this is what to be careful of. So I was very well informed in terms of then going through my own experiences of slowly starting to write about it from a lens of this is how we can start to take care of each other. And these are the things that I do to take care of myself. This is what you can do to take care of yourselves. And also more importantly, this is what we then do to try figure out, hello, what do we then do when harm is done? Yeah. Because I think in kink and in BDSM, it's important for us to have both of those conversations, right? So we always speak about, yes, enthusiastic consent. We speak about rack. We speak about prick. You know, we speak about all of these sorts of different things that are speaking about enthusiastic consent. But I think a lot of the time people kind of struggle with, okay, cool. I understand how to give my yes. But what happens when I do give a no and somebody yeah. isn't respecting that? So even trying to do that shadow work basically of saying I am entering into this world I know what my responsibilities are I also know how it is that I can navigate if I'm the person doing harm if somebody else does harm towards me and how like the people around me can hold me accountable right. so a lot of the work that I then started doing was outside of my own exploration I used to run consent workshops mm -hmm. I used to run kind of one-on-one kink munches just to create a space that felt very black because especially in South Africa, a lot of the kink spaces that I was finding were incredibly like white sure. focused. They were a lot of spaces where I didn't necessarily feel welcome for the reasons I wanted to be welcome. Mm -hmm. So even if I did feel welcomed, it was more of a fetish. It was more of like, oh, cool. Yes, there is a brown or a black person here. Yeah. Whereas a lot of the spaces that I think I was trying to create with other black women with queer people with disabled people was saying hey how do those of us who necessarily don't feel like we're being centered in these spaces how do we center ourselves so I started doing workshops I did that TEDx talk which was really terrifying but also <sighs> incredibly exciting yeah. <laughs> because it was the first time I had shared that openly wow. about this is something that feels so important to me mm -hmm. and this is how it's worked in my life to assist me with the softer sides of things because the more extreme side is very well archived. There is a lot of information about the ways that you can, you know, go into specific bondage, into, you know, fire play, into blood play, into all of these sorts of different things. But I wasn't necessarily seeing as much just to be like, okay, cool. But if I'm not even someone who necessarily consists or considers myself to be a kinkster. And funny thing, I always used to say, no, 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 that's not really my thing. That's not really my thing. Even in high school, before I had actually even had any sort of sexual contact mm -hmm. uh, or with other people, let me say that. Sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I I was always known to be like, oh, Tsukho is dirty. Like Tsukho has really? all of these dirty jokes. Tsukho has got such a dirty mind. Mm. So I had always been that incredibly sexual and sensual person. I just didn't necessarily have a place to sure. put it into. And kink felt like home, mm. you know, because it felt like a place where all of these different selves were 
very grounded. They were able to come together in a way that felt natural and that felt like it could hold all of me, even yeah. in my questioning. Powerful. Yeah. Mm. 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 Sorry, my cat's like fur is like all over my face. I'm like trying to get this off every time. <laughs> Relatable. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So much there that you share that we could probably unpack over like a whole podcast. My God, you know, just to slow down and unpack all of those. So I'm already feeling the limitedness of my like hour scope with you. But I'm going to try and hit some good pieces here. I'm thinking... Mm. Um, I'm thinking about the fact that this podcast has like a global reach, right? And so there's people in this podcast that are going to be listening that don't have the benefit of what you've spoken of, which is community, mm -hmm. right? People who kind of like brought you under their wing and spoke to you about, you know, what to avoid, what to be careful of, those sorts of things. And especially given, you know, the inter internet access to these concepts and ideas, mm. a lot of people are hearing it being drawn in, but lacking that community. So I'd be curious if we could slow down too and just even share, you know, some of those first pieces that were shared with you of what to be careful of. Mm. I mean, I think one of the most important lessons I learned in kind of the beginning of my exploration was just trying to figure out what I wanted first. Great. So that's almost always where I tell people to start because I know that feeling of once you start saying, okay, I'm questioning this thing. I want to find out a little bit more information. And immediately your thing is, I need to find somebody to practice this with. So sure. that's some frenzy, which is also very similar to almost like a polyamory frenzy. So the thing of now I've discovered that I want to date more than one person. I need to like load up all of those partners. Totally. Right? <laughs> Give me 10. <laughs> yes. And now I'm like, oh God, no, not more Good than luck. two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was honestly, like, I think the most important thing for myself is trying to figure out, okay, what do I mm. want? What do those wants look like when they're not attached to anybody else? And how can I find a way to fulfill those specific needs by myself before I involve anybody else? Mm -hmm. So something as simple as like, there are so many like kink and BDSM quizzes online. Yeah, Finding something like that and just being like, okay, I just want to identify what my limits are. So what are the things that are definitely like, yes, these are my green flags. These are things I definitely want to explore. But what are those softer limits? So these might be things that I might not necessarily be open to yet. But if I get more information, if somebody talks me through it, if I'm able to explore it a little bit slowly, then I would be open to it. So understanding the green flags, the soft limits, and then the, obviously the hard limits. So I know a lot of my hard limits have stayed consistent, but some of them have become softer limits because I'm like, okay, no, maybe I would be yeah. willing to try blood play, you know? Mm -hmm. So just trying to figure out what those limits are for myself before I involve other people, because yeah. a lot of what you, or what I was told in terms of, or kind of warned about in terms of how do I try figure out ways to keep myself safe from people who might be within the BDSM space, but not for the reasons that you think, not for the sorts of like intentions that you think that they might yeah. want to do that work. Mm -hmm. And obviously then how do you try balance that shit out when you feel as though as a newbie in the space, there's always a little bit of peer pressure. I mean, we're always just like, no, I'm an adult. Peer pressure isn't a thing for me. 
but it happens and it happens a lot for people who don't necessarily know what it is they want and this isn't me then kind of victim blaming it's me saying come from an informed place when you're coming from that informed place when you know what are the reasons that i am doing this what are the reasons that i want to explore this specific thing and how is it that i want somebody to interact with me in this exploration mm -hmm. just something as simple as figuring out those needs those intentions and mm -hmm. ways of engagement those i think are the main things that make it a little bit easier for me to then be able to say okay cool so in a situation where I feel like somebody might be pushing on my limits a little bit, then I kind of know that, okay, this doesn't feel good. And then the next step then becomes trying to figure out what does the not mm -hmm. feeling good feel like, right? right? Because boundaries feel really different for all of us in our bodies, especially. So I know for a fact that sometimes my mouth might say yes, but I can feel it in my stomach if it's a no. Mm -hmm. And just being able to have kind of that full body awareness of saying, okay, but if I'm feeling this in my body, if my chest feels a little bit tight, if maybe sometimes I get a little bit dizzy, sometimes my palms can get sweaty, and that can definitely be confused sometimes as just, you're just excited. Right. This is a new experience, you're excited, but practicing that thing of being aware of your body so how does your body feel when somebody suggests some of these things and you feel safe enough to say no mm -hmm. and how does your body feel when you're feeling as though oh i'm about to say yes but it's not a yes mm -hmm. and then practicing giving that no mm -hmm. right because i know that we speak about enthusiastic consent so much but it's not very often that we speak about it takes a lot of practice to get yes, to a place where you're like I am confident about saying no. I am confident that this is not what I want. Mm -hmm. And I am confident to say, here is my safe word. Please stop what you're doing. Yeah. Because a lot of times, and especially in harmful situations, you might not feel safe enough to do that. So I just want to track my own thoughts. So it's the first thing of realizing your limits, mm -hmm. realizing what it is that you do want. What are your yeses, your noes, your maybes? practicing what full body awareness feels like and what a no feels like in your body and then practicing the no and then to expand on that is trying to find the people in your community that you can go to should harm happen because i think a lot of the time when we speak about you know safety we speak about consent we might not have necessarily a plan of what does repair then look like when yeah. harm has been done and especially in a community where or my community specifically, that comes from an incredibly abolitionist way of thinking, which is that we don't discard of people simply because they've done harm. We try to figure out what are the processes of repair. Here's Donkey. Oh, cat time. <laughs> hi. Cat pause. Oh, hi, baby. So cute. <laughs> so it's that thing of then trying to figure out who are the people that I can lean on? Yeah. Should I feel as though I have done harm or that somebody has harmed me? Mm -hmm. Because there's nothing I feel as lonely as feeling as though you've been harmed, but you don't necessarily have people that you can lean on Oof, for that. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Absolutely. I'm just thinking about even the risks, you know, we're talking from the sub perspective like even the risks for the dom on the other side right if if a sub mm -hmm. comes to you and says yeah i don't know what my hard limits are i've never done this let's just explore everything Ooh. 
Yeah. Ooh. Right. Right. Licks yeah. on the other side. There's some risks there too. I'm curious. You're already responding. What do you want to say to that? Yeah. I mean, I think even for someone like me who is very switchy mm-hmm. and I know exactly what it is that I want as a sub, I know what it is, what I want when I'm dominating. I am always very wary of people who say I don't have limits because I'm like, Mm-mm, I don't think there. you've done enough exploration. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't done enough thinking. And maybe it's the people pleaser in you that wants me to think that you're down for whatever. And I'm like, I don't feel safe doing whatever because I also might not know you in all of the ways that you feel like maybe the people in your life do know you and you don't necessarily ever have to say a safe word with a sexual partner who knows you very well. But if we're interacting perhaps for the first time, I need you to know what those limits are. And I need you to be able to explore that. So even when I... Oh, now I have hair. Now you have the cat hair. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So even in those times where somebody might approach me and say, hey, listen, I'm a submissive. So maybe I want to be trained as a submissive or I want to be trained as a dominant. My first question is, cool, let's investigate why. Like, what is it that you're looking for? What are you trying to feel like? How is it that I can support you in feeling that way? What are the things that you know for a fact that I definitely want to explore these? And what are the ones that are like X or uncomfortable, Mm -hmm. you know? So that's always where I start. I never start from a point of cool, let's meet up, let's play, let's see how things go. I'm a big talker. I mean, I'm queer, I'm polyamorous, I'm a kingster, I'm a traditional healer. All of the work I do, yeah, all of the work I do is very talk focused. Mm -hmm. But in that talk focused, as I was speaking about body awareness, it's about what is it that our bodies are feeling and do our energies match because you might be like hmm okay this person is hot I want to interact with them within BDSM or kink in this specific way but maybe our energies just don't match maybe we just don't vibe you know so it's also thinking about all of these different things so I always start by saying let's try figure out what our intentions are and what is it that we're trying to get from what we're doing together. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. The communication piece, so, so mm-hmm. big. And then the embodiment of that, right? I'm always talking about that on the podcast, how crucial it is just, just in general to feel pleasure, right? To feel yeah. more pleasure, we have to be embodied, but let alone the ability to know when your no is in your body, because we feel it first yeah. in our bodies, right? And then communicate that. And even just the intuition of, of you know, this this person's giving me a weird vibe i don't know i can't cognitively put my you know words on it but i i know it doesn't feel right and being able to listen to that is so so crucial and i appreciated what you said about you know in terms of there's so much healing and benefits to kink but in the space where harm happens right and i think it's important to name the reality is that like when you're stepping into edge play we can do our best to have that consent conversation, but the reality is harm happens, right? And yes. and yeah, I'd love if you could say more about the philosophies of not, you know, abandoning people in that process because it's mm. human to mess up, right? I don't want to create any space to say do harm, do you know what I mean? But there is the reality yeah. that when you're playing with edges, it happens. And so like, how do you walk through that sort of, uh, yeah, recovery, rehabilitate, mm. what words do you even use to describe that process? Mm. I mean, I think the the word I tend to use is repair. Yeah. Because, yeah, it does often feel like this kind of sever mm-hmm. or this, yeah, I think sever is exactly the word. So 
oftentimes then when in a situation where harm happens, if it feels as though somebody is doing it from an ignorant place, if it feels as though somebody is doing it from an intentional place, those are also the two main points to try to figure out. Sure. Is this the first time something like this has happened? Does it feel as though perhaps this person is continuously doing it and then backing away and leaning on the fact that, oh, no, I didn't know any better. Does it feel as though this person is perhaps interacting in parts of kink that they're not ready to yet be interacting with? Does it feel as though they are being respectful or aware even of any person in the space's limits? So even just being aware of like nonverbal communication, right? So are you paying attention to the people in that space to a point where you're also aware that, okay, I am not going to keep pushing this person, even though they're saying, no, go harder, you know, even though somebody is saying, no, 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 I haven't, I haven't reached my limit yet. Mm -hmm. Is it going Mm -hmm. to also then be your responsibility? And are you taking that responsibility to say, "Mm, maybe I should pull back a bit. Maybe we should slow down a little bit. And I know in terms of like not throwing people away has been a very long journey for me as well, because I mean, we've come far and I know, you know, from like Twitter culture that it is very much that thing of like, cool, you did this harm. We're just going to get rid of you. But then Mm -hmm. what happens when that that happens to you? Do you feel as though you would want to be discarded? Do you feel as though you would want to be given the benefit of the doubt in terms of having a conversation? And of course, leaning on the fact that who is the person who has been harmed and what do they want? Do they want to have a conversation? How is it that you can keep them safe in future aspects? Does it feel as though the person who did the harm needs to be pulled away and kind of some work needs to be done in terms of trying to figure out the reasons they did it, upskilling somebody in terms of doing things better? And then what are the steps that we want to take when it feels as though somebody does not want to do better? Because... Sometimes that's exactly the case. As much as we don't just simply discard of people, there are some people who are being willfully violent and it is not discarding of them if you are trying to keep yourself safe. If your point is to make sure that I am safe, other people in the space are safe, how do we make sure that that continues if that means that they need to find a different way to interact with King outside of the specific situation? Then yes, but... That is usually, there should be other steps involved in that before we just immediately jump to that. Do you feel as though, like, um, in your experiences of, like, kink or community, that there are ways to manage that? Because I know it's a very complex conversation. Yeah, that's what I was just going to say. It's nuanced, right? Very, very nuanced. Because, you know, and I, I liked what you had said about, you know, is it conscious that they're doing this or, you know, mm. what's their intentionality? I mean, there's just so much packed behind this that I think mm. it's kind of glossed over, but it's an important piece in terms of, yeah, what it means to be in community, right, with people. Yeah. And I think, I mean, my belief as like a therapist is that hurt people cause harm, right? What's the hurt people hurt others? Hurt people hurt people. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, I'm struggling. Hurt people hurt people, (laughs) right? So then it's like, when you think about that sort of frame, I have this draw to like, call them in closer and continue to call them in closer. But then the reality Mm -hmm. is that can continue to cause harm for the community, right? And so then it's just so tricky. 
And then I start to think about larger ideas of like, okay, well, then they go see a therapist, right, or something of that level. But then also, what does it mean, truly, in a larger, like, anarchy sense that, like, in our communities, when something gets mm. to that level, we push it off to the capitalistic structure of, like, therapists mm. go get outside of our, our community somewhere else, you know, but then also needing to keep the community safe. And then I just go into a spin of, like, this is, this is a complex. So hence yeah. why it's just way more complex than the Twitter nuance of, you know, or, or a lot of people's choices of, yeah, just throw them out. And it's like, what if that's you? What if that was your, you know, lover? And the reality is that, you know, if we know ruptures and repairs happen in mm. our normal day-to-day -day relationships, you know, yeah. our, our relationships in general, then it's inevitable that when you're playing, it's going to happen there. And particularly when you're playing in edge place, edge play, it's going to happen. And so what Absolutely. do you as a community when that happens is is nuanced and complex. And so I appreciate you, you know, sharing how your community handles it and maybe some more insight yeah. for other listeners who are looking to navigate this. Yeah, I think it's the intentionality of what community means, yeah. right? Because I think a lot of the time we also kind of dilute what community might mean mm -hmm. and community means we show up even when shit is hurting right we show up even when it feels as though it's really difficult and it's uncomfortable and it also means that we share the load so if it doesn't feel like I can necessarily do that work on a specific day how is it that I can also rely on other people to show up to know mm -hmm. that I am not the only person who is maybe responsible for this. Right. I am not the only person who should be doing processes of accountability because it needs to happen as a community. And if harm, so for example, I've had an experience in my past where a friend of mine had done harm and the ways that another friend of mine and I decided to do it was, okay, cool. The first step, we reached out to the person who had been harmed. We tried to figure out, okay, do you feel like you want to be involved in this at any point? So trying to find out firstly, how do we center the person who's been harmed? And trying to figure out, okay, cool. You don't want to be involved in this conversation. Are you comfortable in us taking it forward? Perfect. You are okay with us doing that. Then we reach out to the person who's done the harm. We go to them with a couple of suggestions in terms of this is how we can hold some of this with you. This is what we feel is a personal responsibility on your side. And this is how we can support in your personal responsibility. And then you allow that person to also make the choice because simply because you've done the harm and you want to enter back into a community, it doesn't mean that you'll always say yes, right? Because some people are just like, oh, cool. You're holding me accountable. I'm actually not interested in this. Right. Then it's like, fine, you've made your own decision. That's perfectly okay. So what that experience became is we went to this friend with a couple of suggestions. We said, this is how we can hold. This is how we can support. They decided not to. We haven't spoken since. Mm -hmm. So at other times, it's just a case of what is it that I can control in this situation? What is it that I can't control? You can't force people into accountability. You can't force people into ways of working in terms of community. And I know for a fact that they probably have a different sort of story to tell on their side because their experience was maybe a little bit different. My experience was also a little bit different, but we can hold both of those truths by saying we did the best that we could at that time with the resources that we had. And all we can do in the future is try to do a little bit better, right? So I know for myself, it's also trying to make sure that 
the people who are holding me accountable in my community aren't just my friends because that also makes things a lot more complicated, right? So are there people who in these different, so Mia Mungus does this thing that speaks about specific pod mapping, right? And I know that she specifically speaks about it because she says it assists with disability in terms of disability justice and disability care, but it also helps us figure out who we talk to when harm is done. So we don't know who to talk to unless we prepare before the harm is done. Because once the harm is done, also everybody is incredibly activated and you can't necessarily think in the ways that you want to, you can't act in the ways that you want to. So it all takes prep and it all takes communication and trying to figure out, okay, these people are part of my close circle. These are part of my general community. This is when I start to involve community frameworks. This is when I start to involve institutional frameworks. So trying to also allow exactly as you said, these capitalist solutions as the last resort. I don't think I would ever suggest almost immediately, oh no, you need to go to therapy because then you need to think about resources, you need to think about readiness, you need to think about is talk therapy even going to be the solution for this person? Do they perhaps need to talk to a traditional healer? Because a lot of the times what I've been seeing in my own work of intimacy healing is a lot of those wounds aren't even ours. A lot of those times they are intergenerational. There's been violence in your past. There's been harm done in your past. There's ways that you have been kind of conditioned not to ask for help. There's ways that you've been conditioned not to accept or see or hear a no. So how do we also think of all of these different solutions that don't only involve who oh, go to a therapist, go to a somatic practitioner, go get some help from a herbalist, go work with a traditional healer. Where are all of these different pockets that in totality then create the community at large instead of just relying on like, oh no, but this is the person who is supposed to hold the space and it's their responsibility to sort out now by themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It's so tricky too, because even on, you know, the therapist side, the reality is that, you know, there's no education on sexuality that's required at least to become a psychologist. Yeah. So what that means that's is, tricky. Oh, at least in at least in the states. I don't know about your country, but at least in the yeah. states, there's no required. So say you do have this experience, someone has that they and say we say oh go to a therapist the reality is they might get a therapist who has significant bias against kink mm. and then all of a sudden here's that and is like well you shouldn't be doing that at all you know and just takes them down a whole different route so i think you know in the large history of psychology and its you know roots with white men you know we have to be thinking about the ways that that you know beginning continues to infiltrate and create biases towards certain types of things like kink yeah. and different intersecting yeah. identities behind that right so the, the reality is it's not always the best move to actually go to a therapist depending on where you mm. sit in that with the bias that the field has you know, and, and my dream is that by creating this space where we can talk about these conversations, I don't know if it will happen in our lifetime, but mm. maybe in the future that like therapy will not be needed because we could actually have the yeah. communities where we would hold one another, where the skills of whatever it was that we were taught yeah. to become these healers, quote unquote, and they're important skills. But I think that everyone should have them so that therapy could no longer exist because it, it you know this is not how people you know functioned in communities for centuries before the idea of psychology mm. right so 
there's there's a lot tied up in that but I, you know you know um, and I can imagine yeah but it, yeah it, that's why I appreciate you talking about the complexities of navigating this in relationships right in community mm. and I was just thinking about too even when you were talking about the responsibilities of that dom to know when the sub is saying no go more go more it's like we also have to talk mm. about the reality of like the endorphin rush right like yeah yeah you know like you're, yep. you're in that altered state of consciousness because your endorphins are going right and so yeah. so much complexity here in terms of consent and edge play i mean i'm curious if you'd want to say anything more to that i see you nodding <laughs> yeah no i mean i'm nodding because i'm completely in agreement i think it speaks to exactly what we were speaking about in terms of embodiment right so if a dom also in a specific situation doesn't necessarily understand what embodiment is even for them, they might not realize that this person is asking you to go harmer. That harder. Yeah. <laughs> that might cause harm on them, but it might also cause harm on you. Yes. Because how do you then deal with, for example, the ways that your body is then reacting or might feel tomorrow because you're doing a little bit more than you should? How will you feel if the next time you play, this person doesn't necessarily want to play with you because they were like, mm. You know, I am, I'm struggling a little bit to try to figure out if this person can take care of me. How do you then feel if somebody might feel differently about the ways that you were playing the days after because maybe they pushed their own body too hard and they didn't, you know? So it's about thinking about all of these different sorts of things. And when it comes to having kind of that relationship with your own body and being able to have those conversations beforehand with somebody to say, give me some sort of signal. So if it feels as though, you know, even building some of those cues, so without just saying, cool, we're just going to have a self safe word. What are some of the other nonverbal cues that you'll let me know that, okay, maybe not this time. Mm -hmm. And also, can we then agree if this isn't, you know, consensual non-consent situation, what are the times that you will also take my yes to be what it is, take my no to be what it is, and also understand when exactly, as you said, those endorphins are conflating the two. Because I know that feeling very well. And <laughs> yes. I, I also felt really pissed off when I kept saying to somebody, no, 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 why, why are you stopping? And they were like, I think you should stop. And it took me, you know, maybe a couple of years probably just to be like, oh, okay, I, I see, see why I it is see. that they did that. Yeah. And they were doing that also for my own right. care. That was the ways that they were caring for me mm -hmm. and the ways that they now have allowed me to think a little bit more about, okay, let me pay attention to what that yes and no feels like in my body, even though those hormones are telling me, no, keep going, keep going, keep going. Yeah. yeah. It's tricky. It's it tricky. is. Because you're like, trust me, I want more. Give it now. Yes. Right? Like the toddler comes out and says, no, you know. Um, yeah. But it, it's, it, yeah, it's so hard. I mean, and, and also we can name the hotness of that, right? Like there's so mm. much power in the tease of the, you know what, we're actually going to stop right here. And then we're going to have a communicate. We're going to have a conversation about it. And exactly. you are going to wait for more you know like there's so much power in that i think gets lost because we just want to it reminds me of like the the kids with the marshmallow test that just want to eat it immediately yeah. rather than wait for the two it's like wait for the two it's good i promise <laughs> uh but i think it's also uh you know important to name yeah the pressure that can come from a sub right there's so mm. much on the other side where it seems like you know the dom did this the dom did that but the reality is you know the sub can also put an immense amount of pressure on the dom please why mm. won't you come on you know and i think 
particularly if you come from a different, you know, depending on the politics of identity there, you know, I, I hear a lot of women who will put pressure on other people and be like, oh, but I'm the oppressed group. I can never, you know, it's impossible mm. for me to pressure anybody else, right? But what you don't understand is that when you're saying, please, 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 even though it seems soft, you yeah. are putting emotional pressure and coercion on the dom. And I feel like that's not given enough space either, you know? That's incredibly true, yeah. Because it also does feel like sometimes then, especially when you get subs that are more on the bratty side, yeah. that it then feels as though I am purposefully pushing your boundary and I want right. to see if you can handle it. And a lot of times, if as a dom, you're not necessarily certain or, you know, you, you don't feel affirmed in then knowing that you can say no. As the dom, you can also say no. It's not only on the sub to say no. So it's that thing of then realizing also that how do I ensure that I am taking care of both of us? Because that is often the largest responsibility of being a dom, right? Is not only taking care of the other person, but taking care of you. So how are you then navigating that space when somebody is pushing your own boundaries and you have to feel very secure in, you know, verbalizing your no? Can be very tricky. And especially when you then get those people who are almost taunting in, oh, no, we're just playing. And I'm like, you're not playing. You're not playing. And trying to then distinguish between what is playing, what is brattiness, what is pushing a little bit as part of that tease. And what is completely disrespecting the no? Hence the beauty of conversation, you know, like, ooh, what if we just talked about that before we started doing it? Like, I don't know, you know, obviously not everything's going to be solved, but it would yeah. get a lot closer. I mean, it would get so much closer if we could have that conversation. Hey, when I, when, if I were to push here, how would that feel for you? Right. Mm. And then being able to like, quite literally take it so slowly. Like there's so much, I mean, maybe I just like to be teased, but damn, there's just so much heat and yeah. being able to like, just like, oh, I want to try this. How did that land for you? Let's pause here. Mm. Let's check in. Did it land mm. well? Anything you want to see different moving forward and then keep edging slowly and slowly rather than just trying to grab that marshmallow and stuff it down the throat Ugh. before you even taste it you know there's so much there to go slowly mm, it's just that act of savoring yeah like how can we savor this moment Ugh. how can we basically play with time mm -hmm. right so how do we make sure that we're making that time a little bit more elastic how do we make every feeling a little bit more heightened mm. How do we make sure that the sensation is what we're focusing on and not just what is going to happen at the climax, whatever a climax looks like to you? So, yeah, I'm a very big fan of drawing things out. I'm a big fan of a slow burn. Mm -hmm. That might also just be the, you know, the wimp queer in me, right? <laughs> so I like, I like that thing of like, are we going to? Are we not going to? Are we going to? Are we not going to? Mm -hmm. And then when it finally happens, it feels so much more heightened yes, it does. than exactly as you said, if we just grab that marshmallow and now it's like, okay, it's gone. And now I want more. And the more is usually then where I'm like, mm, we're going to have to pull back because you did too much. You did too much. Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Some more green flags to look for in terms of when you're meeting yeah. people, right? Of like, how fast are they trying to go? Are they willing to slow down? And, and if you ask to slow down, dear listener, and they push back on you, that's a huge red flag. Mm-hmm. Unless if you've spoken about it beforehand, you see, so I'm like, 
it's like, like we keep saying all of these sorts of different things, but it's the awareness of body, mind, and spirit, right? Being able to have those conversations for me to also, whether I am a dominant or I am the submissive in that specific play scene, how do we navigate what all of those different sensations bring up? And also how we hold all of those, because what happens if I then keep going and trigger a response from you that neither you or I were expecting? How then do we figure out ways to hold what might be coming up? And the best way to do it is to continuously keep talking. And I know talking just feels so unsexy to people. And I'm like, that's so hot. What do you mean? Yeah. Like, break everything down for me. <laughs> yeah. And like, narrate the scene for me. I like it. I like it. Keep going. Yeah. Right. And there's so much intimacy in that process because mm. I feel like when you're communicating, whether it's during the scene, after the scene, or anywhere in your relationship and in, in, in any type of relationship, right? The intimacy of being understood is so erotic yeah. to feel like we're on the same page and we're co-creating the narrative moving forward of what we're doing in our relationship. And I think that is so hot, right? So mm. I and I, I hope people can see that. I mean, I'm 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 holding the space too where we're in, you know, and then the space where people are just so orgasm focused and then the space yeah. where I came from as a very Christian purity culture where even talking about sex mm. feels impossible, right? So there's just, there's such a spectrum of this to where people were, are at, but there's just so much juiciness in the conversations and talking about what your fantasies are and how you want to construct them. I mean, getting creative about that can can be erotic and, and is so yes. hot. Yes. And there's also just so much hotness in knowing that this person is making the effort to understand me. Yeah. So that assumption that a lot of people, or not even assumption, but I feel like a lot of people want to jump all of the steps to say, I want to get to a place where we know what we mean without having to say anything. Just give me eyes and I'll know exactly what you want. And I'm like, okay, but how do you think that people get to that point? Years. It needs to be continuously built on. Yeah. We need to both set the intention. We need to both actually follow through with the fact that we are making the effort to learn each other. We are making the effort to continuously understand that, oh, okay, when Tseho does this specific thing, it means this. When Nicole does this specific thing, it means this. And how do we then try to figure out ways to then get to the point where we understand each other in those hot ways where I can just look across the room and I know exactly what you want. It's not going to happen from the first get. Like, so I'm like, I think a lot of people tend to rush that intimacy, right? Without thinking about the work that goes into actually building that, which oftentimes is also kind of my philosophy around how we build any sort of community and especially kink mm -hmm. community. You want to say, okay, we have shared interests. We're meeting at this place. Surely then our values align, our politics align, the ways we deal with harm align. And I'm like, no, not really. We're making a lot of assumptions about this. And how do we continuously grow together? How do we hold each other's complexities, whether you're going to feel as though, okay, I no longer feel interested in this thing. Will you understand? Cool. I now want to explore a little bit more of my soft limits then we can continuously grow together. And then it becomes a lot easier for us to get to that point where I can just ask you to kneel and then you're like, oh, I know what's mm -hmm. coming. I know what's coming. And that's also incredibly hot just to know what's coming. <sighs> yeah. yeah, exactly. It's good. It's good. <laughs> 
And I'm just, I'm holding, you know, the space for the people who have never explored kink and who don't understand mm. then, you know, the intimacy of what you're talking about there of, of, yeah, we've done this for years and we've had conversations. Yeah. And so when I do look across the room like that, they know what I mean. And I think mm. there's also so much, you know, you know, when people are in long-term relationships and they hit that space of boredom, I'm just like, mm. There is so much more play to happen there, right? And yeah. like what kind of plays you can reach with that person, kind of what we're talking about of of years mm. of conversation and connection. I mean, the people who are bored, like they're, we got to expand that space to play and what is possible within those relationships because there's a lot that comes with the beauty of that mm. time, energy, and intimacy. And yeah. yeah, I know you talked a little bit about the softer sides of BDSM and also wanted to hit a little bit on the spirituality of it. So mm. I'm curious if you want to speak to that now. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, so I have been within the BDSM community's lifestyle for almost 10 years now. I think it's just over 10 years. <laughs> and I have been a spiritual spiritually gifted or spiritually inclined person for most of my life but I was only trained in these past two years so it's been within that training and within the time after that that I started putting these pieces together of okay but intimacy is also deeply spiritual and understanding myself in a spiritual way and when I speak about spirituality I'm not necessarily even attaching it to any sort of religion I'm not attaching it to any sort of like divination or practice or culture. It is simply that awareness that there is something more than me. And for me, that something more is that acknowledgement of where it is that I came from and the thousands of people who had to exist for me to get to the point where I exist. And realizing that in those thousands of people, so many of them were also sluts. So yes, many were. of them were also deeply queer. So many of them played with kink and BDSM, even though they might not have called it that. Right. So many of them have done harm or have been harmed. And I carry some of those wounds with me. So it's just trying to meld what then is spoken about as body, mind and spirit and trying to be a little bit more aware of that embodiment, being aware of how it is that in that embodiment, some of my ancestors might be coming through. So I know in specific situations, maybe if I feel incredibly emotional that, oh, okay, I know which ancestor that is. There are other times where I feel like the biggest slut and I'm like, oh, I know, I know who's showing up. So it only comes with that full body awareness of paying attention to the ways that source of sensations are coming to you, right? So there might be somebody who comes a little bit more because they play a lot with sensation maybe there's a specific ancestor who only comes up when you're being bound really tightly maybe there's one who only comes up when you specifically play with blood so there's all of these different sorts of sensations that I think once I started realizing the connections between my spirituality the sensations I was experiencing in my body my own intuition and the ways I was continuously just like burning to find more pleasure. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I literally come from a line of slut. Yeah. And it feels, it feels so wonderful to be able to own that. Yeah. 
And to be able to kind of get rid of all this weight that a lot of us that might have grown up in incredibly religious households or in kind of oppressive or stifling environments to say that a lot of the time, and as Audrey Lord speaks about the power of the erotic, right? It's a lot of the time that information and those sensations and those understandings are kept from us because it's powerful. Oh yeah, it is. And they know how much more you'll be able to access, how much more you'll be able to do, how much more of a residual effect it will be once you're aware of that power and aware of that connection and aware of how sexuality sensuality, spirituality, intuition, and desire all play together. And it becomes so much more fun when you're able to play with that. And when you're able to play with something as simple as, you know, knowing that I'm a chronically ill person, I'm a disabled person, but within kink, I feel so fucking powerful. I feel as though I can consent to pain in my body that I am making a choice that I want this, I am able to offer this to other people for them to hold how powerful it is when they get to pick pain. And on the inverse, how powerful it then becomes when I know that it's not just me experiencing this. It's not just me and the people in this room. It's me and people who've lived long before because they have also been wanting to experience these things through you who is living in a time where things are a lot more free. Things are a lot more, you know, you have a lot more access to information. You have a lot more access to community. You can listen to podcasts like this to access a lot more people. Yeah. And people who are living 50, 60, thousands of years ago might not have had that access. And now that yearning is coming up through you. And how is it that you can also almost heal that intergenerational yearning, because I know we speak about intergenerational trauma so much, but the yearning, because there's so many people who didn't get to be queer, who didn't get to be outwardly kinky, who didn't get to experience the, the beauty of power and play and pleasure and pain playing together. And how can I then be able to, in just grazing a knife along somebody's thigh, in just kneeling until my knees are painful and how do I get to do a little bit more than just think about myself in this moment it feels like mm -hmm. presence and mindfulness that goes across time basically because I think to me when you interact with kink and spirituality in that way it is definitely a form of time travel sure <laughs> absolutely yeah, yeah. and I yeah. I, I journal every morning and I'm always writing about like how the ancestors that never, like you said, never had this liberation can can like move through me and be in this space because it's true, right? Like they never yeah. had access to these things and depending on different intersecting identities of that even more so, right? So to be able to like mm. embody, embody that today in honor of like the journey of, you know, the reality that we stand on the shoulders of giants who had to actively 
fight for us to get to this space where we could be Mm -hmm. able to have this conversation without, you know, being arrested or just uh, so many things. So I try to hold that with gratitude when I, you know, hold conversations like this and get to play because it's so true. Mm -hmm. And, and, and I, I pray that the generations after us just keep running and going, you know, and continue that lineage of divine sluthood and, and, and what we're talking about. I know, right? (laughs) Yeah. I really take that one after my Christian upbringing. I really, I really run with that. Um, (laughs) I love that um, so much. Totally. Yeah. Um, one of my partners was like planning a burning at the stake scene for me as a way to reclaim that one. Mm. So I was like, this could be fun. Um, but yeah, there's just so much there and I'm, I'm holding space for the people who, you know, want to explore these things and hear us speaking about that and, and the letting down of shame, because I think what we both know is Mm. that there's just so many people. I mean, even I just recorded um, an episode with Dr. Elizabeth Sheff, who, um, or just released one. She does expert witnessing for kink cases that go to the court when, you know, worst case scenarios happen. Yeah. Yeah. And she was talking about the research she had found that said, you know, 70% of people have BDSM fantasies, right? So whether you enact them or not is a choice, right? But if we're thinking about 70%, I think there's so much more need for conversations like this that hit on the intimacy and the love and the, dare I say, psychological transformation field of psychology, where are you at? You know what I mean? Because when you feel empowered in these moments, that doesn't just stay in that moment there. It transfers out to how you carry yourself in the day-to-day and how you play with yeah. people in other areas of your life. And so it's it's transformative. Mm. And exactly what you're saying in terms of how many people have these thoughts. And a lot of the times when we feel like we don't necessarily feel safe to practice them in ways that feel like they can hold us gently, then they come out yes. at the most inconvenient inappropriate and in harmful ways so it feels a lot better and a lot more grounded when it feels as though okay let me allow myself a little bit of exploration let me do this thing of almost permitting myself to say that I am going to lean into what this yearning is and I'm going to lean into it in a way that feels radical that feels as though I can honor exactly what it is that my past needs to heal what it is that I feel like I might need to grow in for my future Mm -hmm. as well because I'm just like thinking about the ways that specific kink scenes have triggered and healed things for me just in these past two years Mm -hmm. you know just being able to be in experiences where a lot of the time as I play with my gender also kink has allowed me that because I mean, I should have known, you know, how switchy I was. I was like, I've always been a switch, even with gender, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's never been one or another. So it's, it's just interesting how many different forms of healing are contained in this thing. The healing that happens in the body, totally. that happens in the mind in terms of shame. Also, the healing that happens in the past, in the future, that happens in community that allows me to show the fuck up quite honestly yeah (laughs) totally totally i'm i'm thinking about the field of psychology and how we do you know play therapy with kids and, Mm. and find so much in that and it's like well what if we remember 
we all have an inner child and we all like to play and maybe there's Mm. some play therapy here you know for us to be exploring in terms of parts of ourselves and who we're becoming Mm. things that we're carrying I mean there's just so much here so (laughs) I am yeah really thankful that you you know shared your expertise and your lived experience and your community experience in the space and one of my favorite questions I've been holding on to as I've been doing this work um, with guests is asking, you know, in this moment right now, if you could tune back to yourself hearing BDSM and the Twitter space for the first time, is there anything that you'd want to say to your younger self? It's mm. a wonderful question. Mm. I would honestly say lean a little harder. Mm. Mm, like don't be afraid of this thing that you feel might consume you in ways that you might not want to be consumed know that it is going to lead you into forms of understanding that no one can hand to you because it feels as though this creative outlet this form of play this being able to release shame this being able to find different forms of care that you might not have had access to that speaks to like five-year-old that speaks to 11-year-old that speaks to even the inner teenager who just wants to be a brat who just wants to be numbed who just wants to feel pain in consensual ways this leaning is going to be so much more powerful for you than you think it is Mm. Mm. So true. So true. I know there's a listener somewhere who's like there in that spot. So those words, you yeah. know, are powerful. Yeah. yeah. And what just, would you say? <laughs> that's a great question. You're pushing it back on me. Oh, I gotta, I gotta step up into the space. Um, ooh, I think just, you know, that I, this world word is packed with so much, but this desire you have to play with these things are normal. You know what I mean? I, that's, I think a huge one is, is wondering, is something wrong with me that I have these desires? And, and the answer is no. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's the choice of how do you want to go about playing with them consensually and through conversations and all of that. And then kind of like you said, the, the ways that that gives you lessons about yourself that you couldn't get otherwise. Someone could say this to you. This is what you're going to understand. Here you go. But until like we you know hit on multiple times through this, it's that embodiment of that experience yeah. and the way that that transforms you and the ways that. Yeah, I mean the ways that I've found intimacy and love and empowerment and play through this type of dynamic is, is, you know, almost ineffable for the good, you know, that that is, because I don't, we don't have to always have words for it. So it's hard to really Mm. hit that, but like, it's Mm. been so transformative in terms of my psyche that there is no going back in that way. You know, once you've opened this up to this level of play and embodiment and connection, there is no going back. And for the better, I I feel so much more in touch with my rage and the way that that's been helpful Mm. in terms of social justice. That's also something I've been speaking about, right? Is that like, we need to feel that rage and and it's been fun to like take that rage into a space where i'm like i'm fucking furious can we play yeah. with this here consensually yeah yeah <laughs> that's great yeah. 
that keeps me Ugh. in the fight, right? Because then you're like, okay, like I can put it here and I, we go back, you know? Mm. I honestly love that you mentioned rage because I think, yeah. and especially for when you're incredibly young and you start noticing things about the world and the ways that the world treats you and the ways that you're craving all of this outlet and craving all of these ways to use anger in ways that don't feel like you're burning yourself out, but that you're able to restore something within yeah. yourself. I think that's so important. Mm -hmm. And to do that I would have love. loved to hear that. Yay. Yeah. I would have honestly loved to hear that and to just say, here is a space where your anger can be as angry as you need it to be. As long as you know also that once you leave here, allow it to do something that mm -hmm. feels good, that feels healthy, that doesn't feel as though you're just holding it all in. I think so many people need so many more creative outlets for their rage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We're getting to a space where more like, oh, yeah, go take a boxing class, go do that. That's okay. You know, mm -hmm. so I think being able to do that in a space with partners that you love and that there's been communication, yeah. right? Because that's the difference. And I know we've hit on this multiple times throughout the, you know, this conversation is the ways that like, we can do things without the awareness versus the conscious awareness of like, hey, I have this rage, I want to play with it here. Or do you want to do that with me? Right? That yeah. is very different than what I think frequently happens within our society is people have this and then they let it out, right? So I think collectively, we're going to get to a better space when we are yeah. one better able to communicate more in our bodies to notice our emotions, able to play with those emotions in outlets that make sense mm. for us in our world and then use that embodiment to keep enacting that change. I mean, I, I think it's revolutionary to really like focus on that and the pleasure that is in that. Yeah. 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 <sighs> This was exactly the conversation I needed <laughs> on this here Saturday. Happy Saturday. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, I want to hold space too as we come towards the end. I always check in with each guest to make sure there wasn't anything that you wanted to say to the listeners and the community. Otherwise, I can guide us towards a closing question. Yeah. I mean, I think the only other thing I would probably say is just play. Like, so whether it is that you're making people pink with slaps, whether you're holding them with rope, whether you're staying in your room and exploring all of this by yourself, all of that is incredibly radical. Just being able to maintain that connection, that intimacy, that sensation, getting a taste of pleasure and safety and having pain enacted on you in ways that you want it to be being able to tap into those emotions that you might not have ever felt safe to be able to share with people the rage, the numbness, the anger, the wanting to enact pain on other people. All of these things are so incredibly radical. Being able to give yourself that permission is such an incredible form of care that I've felt for myself because it's realizing that in kisses that have been given to me, like in forms of bruises, in rope indentations, in different sorts of cuts, in rug burn and sore knees. And, you know, sometimes in a little bit of blood, both of those are incredibly kinky and spiritual for me. And being able to hold both of those together is how I allowed some of my yearning and my needs 
to lead me to something that feels really good for mm-hmm. myself. Mm-hmm. So I would say just keep playing because playful pleasure allows us such a wonderful space to heal. It gives us the radicalness of feeling, of healing, of connection, of knowing that you're not doing this by yourself, even when you are doing it by yourself in your room. So I hope that kink, BDSM, pleasure, and healing are just a soft place to land. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So, so mm. powerful. And I'll be, I'll be waiting for your book one day. Where's the book yeah. on spirituality <laughs> and BDSM? I, I want to read more. <laughs> uh, Don't tempt me with a good time. <laughs> I, but we need you. We need you, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I read um, Radical Ecstasy. That's the closest I've seen mm. to anything um, from the writers of The Ethical Slut. Mm. Yeah, they wrote a book on that that was pretty good. Um, or there was another one I found from this researcher in London, UK, I don't know, um, called Play, Pain, and Religion. Ooh, Creating the gestalt through kink. Yeah, and so it was a part of their research where they would ask people about what it means and all that stuff. So you you might like that. That was a really interesting book. I love I, that. I think I had to pay like 50 bucks to get it, but it felt it felt very worth it. I was like, I need it. So when you're ready to write your book, I'll, I'll be there buying that first copy, okay? <laughs> And I will remember this conversation as the genesis of that book. Totally. <laughs> I had to make it religious. <laughs> For sure. Of course. Of course. Well, if you feel good, I can guide us towards our closing question. Yeah. Okay. Well, then the last question that I ask every guest on the podcast is what is one thing that you wish other people knew was more normal? Mm. That's so interesting. My mind went and like six different places mm-hmm. um I would say that you don't always have to know right so you don't always have to know the reasons that you're doing things you don't always have to know all of the answers and the ways to do things you don't always have to know exactly the sensation that you're looking to get out of something but what you do need to know is how So it's that intention. What is actually the intention that I'm setting in terms of, am I simply exploring? Am I allowing this to give me a place to put my rage? Am I allowing this to transform me in different ways? Is my intention simply to connect to somebody? And in that not knowing, allow different forms of answers to come to you. Because I think in my own experience of of kink, of doing different sorts of pleasure work, of doing different sorts of holding in terms of space for people as a healer, as a facilitator, as a friend, I know that I don't always have to know, but sometimes all I have to do is just sit with the feeling. So allowing that feeling to give you the information that it wants to give you is all I would say to people. You don't always have to know. Yeah, yeah. very powerful. Yeah. My therapist always used to say, living into the answers. And I mm. love that, right? Like I'm living into the answers. I don't need to know right now, but I'm taking that yeah. step. And and also even holding space for when we have conflicting feelings, right? The different parts that will yeah. say, I want this. And the other half that says, I don't want this. And holding all of that nuance as we 
live into these answers and the answers that might change throughout time, right? You, you have one experience and you felt like it now months later, you might feel different about it. Right. And just holding space for the ways that we change and evolve, I think is, is such a important part of the human experience. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not knowing is a good thing to play with. Yes, it is. Mm. Yeah. (laughs) Well, it was such a pleasure. Where can the listeners find you and connect with you and your future book? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, So I'm mostly active on Instagram. My handle is Mbongo Muffin. So it's M-B-O-N-G-O and the word muffin. And I have my own website, so you can get information. You can get in contact with me on my website. It's thehofazosinne.com, so my full name.com. And I, if you ever have any stories, any experiences you'd like to share with your general queer community, my platform, Hedony, that's heyhedony.com, is always open for submissions. I'm always down to collaborate with people, to share people's stories, to share their experiences. So... Yeah, please get in contact with me. I always want to get to know people. Great. I'll have all of those linked below so the listener can just go to the show notes and connect with you directly. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show and co-creating this beautiful conversation with me. Mm, Thank you so much. I loved all the questions. I love being able to go on this very convoluted journey with you. It felt very affirming for my brain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Me too. Me too. If you enjoyed today's episode, then leave us a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast and head on over to modernanarchypodcast.com to get resources and learn more about all the things we talked about on today's episode. I want to thank you for tuning in and I will see you all next week.